BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a billionaire summons his friends to his island to solve his own murder. But there's an unexpected guest among them, Benoit Blanc, the world's greatest detective. This episode, we'll look in to Glass Onion. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and my own Benoit Blanc, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy Exeter mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. Laura, are you impressed with my pronunciation of Exeter, by the way? I am. Thank you. There's no eggs in Exeter. You're doing a very good job, You've been saying that since 2014, and I finally picked up what you're laying down. It's okay. People are finally starting to say my name correctly. So, like, it's all a big trade-off. Lara. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcasts, our very own Tubi Ball. Hello, Tubi. Hello, Rebeeky. <laughs> tubes. Hey, Tubes. How's it going over there, Tubes? Sorry, Toby. As after Laura said we've been mispronouncing her name for many years, I realize your name is not mispronounceable. So no. congratulations to you. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So, Kevin, it is Thursday's fine program. What is coming up on Monday's Crime Writers On? On the next Crime Writers On, we're going to be talking about the HBO documentary series Unveiled. All right. Looking forward to that. Well, I'm really looking forward to talking about the feature film that we're going to be talking about in this podcast episode, a thing we never, ever do. So can we just get right to it, Kevin? Roll that tape. All right. I'm going to play that first clip right now. Leading off. Alongside and underneath the parquet, you've been charged with a serious task. Because tonight, in this very room, a murder will be committed. My murder. A group of uber-successful professionals are invited on a weekend trip to their billionaire friend's island to play a game, solve his own murder. 
But one stranger is also tagging along. The famed detective, Benoit Blanc, who fears a more sinister game, is afoot. I've got the predefinite detective in the world at my murder mystery party. That is so legit. Mr. Braun, I've learned through bitter experience that a, an anonymous invitation is not to be trifled with. The lights go out. A body is sprawled on the floor. Who's the killer? The politician? The fashion model? The scientist? The video gamer? Or the former business partner, the host, Swindled? Where's his stupid gun? Oh, fiddlesticks. When did his gun disappear? He always has his gun. He always has it, which means we stop seeing it. But at some point this evening, it was gone. Daniel Craig leads an all-star cast in Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. A modern take on the parlor mystery, the audience follows Blanc as he attempts to solve the case before the killer can strike again. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Glass Onion. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Lara, you went into this blind. You had no idea what you were going to be watching, right? I had absolutely no idea what was going on here. I did not see Knives Out. I didn't know what the premise was. It reminded me of the time that we made Toby watch the series finale of Game of Thrones. <laughs> with no context. Um, with no context. You actually only, needed to know that. Uh, you probably did. But this was just super campy right off the bat. To be completely candid with you, Kevin tells me I saw Knives Out, but I <laughs> actually don't remember watching Knives okay. Out. So I feel like I went into this knowing that Knives Out, what Knives Out is, but also mm-hmm. not seeing Knives Out. So I'm kind of with you, even though I get the concept. So this is sort of in the vein of like the murder by death, satirical murder mystery, let's poke fun at the genre, mm-hmm. obviously sort of thing. So Kevin, what we have here, and I think it's really interesting, is sort of a quasi-open mystery satire where we're given a setup and it's like, solve my murder, except that's not what happens. Like, the guy who says solve my murder doesn't get murdered. But then later in the movie, we sort of find out how the plot is unraveling on many layers. So it's not like we don't exactly know what's going on. You know what I mean? They sort of turn it inside out in a couple of ways. Yeah. I mean, I, I would disagree that it's the open murder concept is still closed. We, as the audience, don't know who the murderer is or what's going on. But like the original, it is an update of the traditional Agatha Christie murder story. It's really like the setup for, and then there were none. You've got a group of people secluded here on an island. It's the same as being like Snowden in a mansion in the uh, English countryside. The one way it diverts from sort of that, that formula is that the murder victim is usually the person that everyone has a reason to kill and is generally you know unlikable, just like Miles is. So the victim being Duke throws that whole setup into disarray. But, you know, unlike a romantic comedy where you have an expectation that this is going to happen, juggling this around doesn't sort of sour the ending. Yeah. So, Toby, I'm just curious what you think, because the setup here is that Miles invites everyone to the island to solve his murder. And then Benoit figures out the game in two seconds, and then that's over. Have we started already? Is it? Well, the murder hasn't happened. Oh, okay. But, yeah, why not? As Watson said to Holmes... It was Bertie who planted a remote device on a crossbow in revenge for you stealing her signature Ren Diamond. What did you think about that plot twist in the movie? 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't really like this movie. <laughs> so it was just Thank like, you, Toby. that was about the third thing that happened where I was like, I don't like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't really have much to say about that. I mean, I think it was like a little bit clever. I'm not really sure how they're just going to ring two days out of the way people were seated at the original dinner. Like if that's really got all the clues that you need to know, like what are you going to do for the next two days? So I didn't completely follow like why that was going to happen. I saw the first one knives out, which I liked. And part of it, you know, it's, it's like Kevin was saying, it's like a throwback. And this immediately stops being like that. Like you start off with all this CGI nonsense that is for no reason at all, as far as I could tell. I mean, it's just like, look how clever this is. You mean with the puzzle boxes? Is that what yeah. you're talking about? Yeah. So right away, you're moving from this like homage to these older movies. And I, I put Sleuth and Mousetrap. They're all, you know, it's all these sort of the same type of Agatha Christie thing to suddenly you're introducing like stupid effects that mean nothing. It have nothing to do with the plot in the end. So I just think they really just kind of lost what I thought was kind of good about the first one in this one. I don't know. It seemed like sort of a cross between the original and like a not very good James Bond movie. Hmm. It reminded me of something I would have gone to the theater to see with Will when he was a little bit younger, like almost like a Marvel movie gone awry. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, I can't not look at the giant YouTube guy with all the tattoos and not think of Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think that he plays a very similar kind of character to me. Like he has sort of this profile of what he can play as a character. So it was just kind of like, I, I hate to say this, but it was like something you could kind of like have on in the background, like Christmas week and be like, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, look, there's Kate Hudson. Oh, okay. I hate Edward Norton right now. Oh, look, they're smashing the glass onion. And I could kind of like superficially follow, but I was just like not really invested in. All right. I want to dial back to the question I originally asked Toby, Kevin, yeah. about the original plot spoiler, because we are supposed to be at this island to solve Miles' murder. And then that right. is not what happens. Right. Because yeah, and by his murder, because everybody seen it knows that it's really a, a, a game. Yes. He's not really going to be murdered. Correct. But he has created this elaborate puzzle that he wants everybody to play. Murder mystery game is supposed to last the whole weekend. But don't you think as a viewer that he's actually going to get murdered for real and that's oh, right, what's right, going right. to happen? Yeah, it's yes. kind of what I was intimating. Yeah. My other answer is that this is the setup that everybody would want to kill Miles. So the expectation will be something's going to go awry and he will be killed. For the record, I did love the gag where immediately Benoit Blanc, oh, we're playing this game? Boom, he gets up and he, he figures out this super elaborate mystery and pisses off Miles. Because, and like the fake dart like pops up in his shirt like he's supposed to be killed with it. That's the downfall of bringing the world's greatest detective to your little murder mystery party. It is. I completely agree with you. I have a question for you also, Kevin. Yeah. What do you think of the fact that we sort of get a little bit into Benoit Blanc's personal life. We see him at the beginning of lockdown in the bathtub yeah. playing uh, Among Us with Stephen Sondheim, Stephen Sondheim, Angela Lansbury, Angela Lansbury, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Natasha Leone. Correct. What a crazy... And his husband, you know, of course. But it was apparently Hugh Grant. Yes. Oh, yeah. With his sourdough starter answering the, sourdough, the door. Exactly. Yeah, well, I, I like this character, Benoit Blanc. You know, he's maybe not as sophisticated as uh, Hercule Poirot, but still kind of cut from the same cloth as, as whether it's Sam Spade or Charlie Chan or Miss Marple, that I could see this character 
like being serialized into a bunch of novels like Perry Mason or, or, or whatever. But I, I do like that they're building him along. I know there's a lot of question online. Like, no, he's is he gay? He can't be gay. It's just, yeah, he's gay. So yeah, the writer of the movie is like, I wrote a gay detective. Why are you arguing about the fact that he's a gay detective? What yeah. is the matter with you people? And then people on Twitter are like, no, I think that Hugh Grant is his butler. Like, what the fuck <laughs> is the matter with you people? Well, what does that even w- have to do with the entire movie? Like, it's literally Who cares? like that scene doesn't have anything to do with anything. No, I know. But like people are so offended by the fact that like Daniel Craig could potentially play a gay character. Like it has nothing to do with the movie. Like the fact that he's gay is irrelevant. And as it should be, it has nothing to do with anything as it should be. Like his being gay is not plot driven it's just a fact of his character it's just a it's canon of his character but that's the only reason they even have those scenes is to is to signal that he's gay i mean nothing right. happens in them it's but just like building, oh look he lives with building Hugh Grant. Canon. he's building canon toby have you never watched a series of movies where you build canon with a character over time that's what's happening here yeah but this doesn't deserve it I, in uh, my opinion it's just super super weak <laughs> i'm huh. sorry that's okay and, and I, and, we and can like, agree even, to disagree and I don't even understand uh, Daniel Craig. Like, why do they have him as the actor in this part? I thought he was like a bad version of, I don't know, like the accent drove me up the fucking wall. Yeah. It was like a bad combination of like Kevin Spacey in Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And then I'd seen it compared to Foghorn Leghorn, which is the rooster in that cartoon. I say, I say, boy. All right. All right. All right. Like, oh, wait, that was Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, that's not Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> um <laughs> Listen, I want to be clear. Huh? I'm not Batman. I can find you the truth. I can gather evidence. I can present it to the police and the courts. But that is where my jurisdiction ends. I get the campiness and stuff. And I like Daniel Craig. I just, like, if I was going to list actors to play this part, like, he'd be way the hell down there. I, I don't He get would it. be number one for me. Because Why? he is, well... Because he would, because he was James Bond and he was by far the most compelling and scary James Bond we ever had. And to have him, this is his third he, he act. He was playing against type. So this is his, no, to me, it's like, this is, so actors have, and it's like uniquely male opportunity for the most part. There are very few women actors who get this opportunity, right? That's called, it's like the third act, right? You have like your young, sexy or edgy actor, you know, life. Like, think about Alec Baldwin. Great, great example of this, right? You have your young, sexy actor, like when he played Jack Ryan in Round for October. And then you have your suave, like, long mid-career role. And then you have your comedic third act or your Yeah, char- like Leslie Nielsen. Or your character actor third <laughs> yeah. act. Or your whatever. You have a third act where you get to change what you're doing completely, right? So this is like the Daniel Craig third act. Except that Daniel Christopher Walken. There you go. Yeah. Except that Daniel Craig does not have a, a wife who's cosplaying as a Spanish person at home, right? <laughs> so I actually I love this for him. I love that we're getting that chance to see. I think we've gone far off of the no, uh, yeah, but I the point of the mystery. I I just I think it's fresh and special. But to me, the movie isn't even like the performance that I look at isn't Daniel Craig. I look at Janelle Monet probably most of all in this movie. I think she's like a revelation in the movie. I love Katherine Hahn in this film. I love Kate Hudson in this film. I just think the ensemble in this film is incredible. And I love that the franchise is built around Daniel Craig. I love it. 
And I'm sorry, we have to agree to disagree. Toby, by the way, Toby, I would pick Daniel Craig to play you, Toby Bob. Not fucking kidding. Would he have some ridiculous accent? No, no I, but he'd have a ridiculous ascot. You know what yes. he would say? It's interesting. It's interesting. No, I, I like Daniel Craig. I just don't, I feel like when like I'm watching him, costume? I'm watching I'm watching an actor play against type, you know, with a put on accent. And Do you like his bathing costume? His, his costumes are awesome. I 100% would love to have those. That's what I would take away is I want to see Kevin in those little bathing togs and I'm going to change my name to Whiskey. (laughs) Those are my two takeaways from this movie. All right, I'm going to stop it there. We need to take a break and do business. Yeah, this is heated. This is a way more heated discussion than I thought it was going to be. What's going on on our Patreon right now, Kevin? Uh, Well, on uh, on our Patreon... We've got the Crime Writers on After Show. Uh, this week we talked with Maggie Freeling from Wrongful Convictions yes. and Murder and Alliance and a million other great things. She's also a friend of the show, our actual patron. Mm. And you can be a patron, too, if you go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. It's a very interesting conversation. We talked about where she thinks journalism should be. Uh, you know, she's a journalism teacher, Kevin, journalism professor. And she also, you know, does sort of work that crosses now, now, over. Don't give it away. We want people to come. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want to spoil it. Yeah, we also have uh, coming up the latest episode of Married with Podcast, where Rebecca and I, we dish out advice to people like Duke and Whiskey. Oh, yeah. You tell them, <laughs> you shouldn't be sharing to get into Miles' good graces. Correct. That would be bad. Correct. Uh, also, we have uh, Leave it to Bricker and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Elsewhere in the Partners in Crime Media world, yesterday dropped the latest episode of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. We talked about a classic from SVU Season 2, Episode 20, Peak. This is the one with Chad Lowe. Mm. The lower low. Fucking wild episode. The lesser low. This is the one where he is, uh, he's got a peakeristic tendencies and he's sleeping with his mother played by Margot Kidder. It's wild and our guest for the episode is Sarah D. Bunting. It's a very good episode. Good friend of the show. A very good episode of these other stories about a wild and traumatic in a weird way episode of SVU. Right? Yeah. All right, Kevin, before we wrap up the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Liz Krakachilo and Mandy Sorensen. Wow. Bless you. Bless you, Liz and Mandy, and bless Liz you. Liz is a great jazz singer, by the way. She's Incredible. great to follow on Instagram. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to follow her, and thank you guys for uh, being our Patreon patron saints, and thanks for everyone who supports us on Patreon, and thanks to you uh, who don't, but who listen to this stupid business section anyway. We really appreciate it. Kevin, I'm going to fade that music out now. What do you think? Do that. All right. Let's get it done. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. 
Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more. An extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. All right, so Kevin, let's get back to sort of fighting about a feature film, which I did not think we were going to be doing tonight. Ah, yeah. It's a real crime writers on discussion. I know. I love it. This is way more fun than I thought it was going to be. Kevin, what do you think about Daniel Craig's performance as Benoit Blanc? Is he well cast in this film or not? He's a weird choice for this character, but I think he's <laughs> I think he's fine. I, I like the character. What, yeah. do you think, what do you think about the rest of the casting? Oh, this is really good. It's a good all-star cast. You know, I think we've got a couple of actors and actresses here who are sort of like, as you said, like approaching that end of that second act, the beginning of that third act. Edward Norton, uh, Janelle Monet does a great job. I've been loving Katherine Hahn ever since WandaVision. Uh, Kate Hudson, of course. I thought you liked her in that HBO thing where all she did was masturbate all the time. Oh, m- Mrs. Oh, what was that called? Mrs. <laughs> Robinson? Mrs. Robinson. Mrs. Self. Mrs. I thought it was Mrs. Something. Not or Mrs. Other. Robinson. It's Mrs. Something. Yeah. Well, all she does is masturbate the entire time. Yeah. Well, pretty much. <laughs> rock on. Yeah. Uh, rock on. Uh, also, Leslie Odom Jr. does a great job. I think it's a really good cast. But again, you need that because just like with the original Knives Out. If it's going to be a small group of people who are your suspects and stuff, you really want them to shine. There is, like you said, whiskey and then Catherine's assistant, Catherine Hahn's assistant, Peg. Like in a galaxy of stars, they do not shine. They're just sort of outshone by the the star power around them. I will say if anyone out Plus there. Plus that weird guy who kept showing up. What was that about? I know. Who was just like sitting in the room. He's I like, thought oh, he was. Hey. So I he was Kato Kalen. Yeah, I thought it was going to turn out that he was going to be the smart one who was actually like doing all the smart things. That's what I thought yeah. it was going to turn out to be. Um, so, misdirection. If, if anyone out there uh, like loves Janelle Monae as much as I do and has not seen her 2019 Grammy performance of "Make Me Feel" that I've made Kevin watch several times, I've watched it about a million times. It's on YouTube. Pause this podcast right now. Look it up on YouTube. Just uh, Google Janelle Monae 2019 Grammy performance. Wasn't will, she the lead? In- no. Not fucking regret it. Homecoming season two, the yes. television show. Yeah. I yep. believe she great job on that. Yes. As much as I didn't like a lot of this, there were parts of it that were really funny. Like Kate Hudson's character, how she like. Birdie. Where she launched her sweatpants right at the start of COVID. <laughs> I was like, that was just really, I mean, that was funny. I also enjoyed some of the cameos by some other people like Serena Williams show up as like the virtual personal trainer. Like, are you going to use me here or what? Like. Yo-yo that was, Ma. That was uh, being yep. able to Shazam the the music at Birdie's house. Yeah, they got a lot of big people to show they up. They did. Yes. Yeah. So, Toby, you had a pacing issue with something that I actually was, like, thinking about a lot. Because they did do this big sort of reveal about a third halfway through the movie. And it, it was a sort of plotting choice that we could have either gotten at the beginning or at the end. But they sort of did it halfway through where it's revealed to us. And we should again say this is a huge spoiler that Benoit Blanc has been working with the twin, who it turns out is a twin since the beginning to sort of infiltrate this island caper. And then we see the whole thing from their perspective. So now it's one of those things where it's like we're going to tell you what we're doing and then you're going to see us do it. 
Google said, you are the world's greatest detective. Somebody like me takes something like this about a group of rich folk with an army full of lawyers. But if Juan was to get them alone, isolated for a weekend with, in your words, the world's greatest detective, you want to hire me to go to that island? Now, that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. How did you feel about the way that was shown and how it was paced? It went on too long for me. You know, as far as like introducing it there, that's fine. Like if that's not going to be your big reveal, then you don't want to save it too late because then it steps on the big reveal. So that was fine. I just thought it went on pretty long. And I think they wanted to sort of establish some kind of emotional connection between Blanc and um, the sister. But I again, I don't know what it really added to have that. Like all the characters, which is fine, but they're all kind of caricatures, right? It's not like, wow, this person seems like a real person. It's almost cartoonish. So if the idea was that you were supposed to then feel some more emotional tug for the like three minutes that you think Janelle Monet may have been killed. To me, that just seems like wasted time and it kind of killed the momentum. And then even the sort of what she killed just doesn't last very long at all. It's just like, she's yeah. dead. No, she's not. And how did she live? Well, it was because of her, her favorite little notebook saved her. I, I don't understand like why you wanted to put those sort of emotional stakes in something which just doesn't seem to be going that way. As a matter of fact, the way she's saved is so kind of ridiculous that it seems like it's it's sort of working counter to the idea that you're supposed to be sad that she might have been killed. What do you think about the pacing there, Lara? Because the one thing that occurs to me is that she is an amateur. And then in this moment, you know, we sort of get this backstory flip but then really what ends up happening there is she sort of evolves into like a fully fleshed detective. When we see the drunker she gets, the better a detective she becomes. I know, that hard kombucha, you got to watch out for that shit. You should um, try it, Laura. <laughs> I know. What a great detective actually, you would be. Jared Leto's hard kombucha. I tried some hard kombucha during COVID times when you were like getting everything shipped to your house. Um, so I had an issue with the pacing as well. I was along for the ride. Like I said, this is something you can kind of have on in the background. And then we had the reveal. And then for me, it just sort of ground to a halt after the initial reveal. It sort of slowed that momentum. And I I liked the concept of seeing how everything played out. But I just wonder about the placement of that in the story arc and if that should have come later. Because I felt for me, I just was like, that's where it sort of lost me. And and I actually, I watched it twice. And it still had the same effect on me. Hmm. So, Kevin, there's a lot of uh, commentary about wealth in this film. Yeah, I really think this is a, a commentary about the Elon Musk. <laughs> well, yeah, something like that. I mean, it's about the obscenity of wealth. Miles says all these things that he doesn't even care for. I mean, it's it's right away. We see this where he apparently has purchased Paul McCartney's guitar that he wrote Blackbird on. And it's like, oh, it's a great thing. And then what does he do with it? He just tosses it. Serenading me with my on the guitar Paul wrote it on. <laughs> I know, legit, right? But look at your face, it was worth it. Oh, my friends, my friends, all my old friends. And it's like a lot of these things that he doesn't even care about collecting. It's about the the coldness of, of, of wealth and greed, right? This is a guy who has everything, including like loving his stupid blue car. But all of these things around him that he's built around him 
has to do with money. And by the way, Andy's like the partner in the business and yeah. he's got a private island and she's living in that crappy little house. It's not there. crappy. It's charming. Uh, it's crappy compared to a fucking Greek island with a giant glass dome well, on the top. Pedophile island. There you go. Yes. Right? But what it, in the end, it's like, how else are you going to give a billionaire his comeuppance? Yes. And this was they find a way to do that. But that's pretty hard. And I think that that's sort of a I think that is sort of built into the the theme of this murder mystery. So this is going to sound like a, a side like note, except that it is not irrelevant. So somebody that I know, you know, how some people sometimes post like an outrageous Zillow listing, like on their yeah. Facebook page. Somebody that I know named Drew posted this crazy house in Florida on her Facebook page. And apparently it's owned by the owner or founder of Hawaiian Tropic, like the suntan lotion. <laughs> it is. And it was like built in like 70s or 80s. It is 100% like the 1970s slash 80s version of Glass Onion. It is very fucking 70s house. You have to fucking look up this house. It has like double staircases and the living room is full of statuary and dead animals. It is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. It is on the beach. This is not apropos of nothing because it is 100% about the obscenity of wealth. Three pools. And right after seeing this movie, I'm like, this is the glass onion house, but it's the Hawaiian tropic guy who has it. And all over the house are like photos and paintings of himself. With other people, like all the photos are of himself with celebrities. It's like his own personal, it's like Sardis. It's fucking bananas. Trust me, look it up. This sounds like a side story. It is not. Still sounds like a side story. It is relevant. I'll look side it up. Story, I, I love looking at houses on Zillow. When I used to do um, research for fundraising, there was nothing that made me more giddy than when I found a recent sale and I could look up the inside of their house. Correct. It was so voyeuristic and I loved it. I love looking up tax records. When you find out like, oh, who somebody my God. is, look up their tax records, what their house looks like. Oh, I do it all the time. Will's like, mom, stop spying on my friend's parents. Laura, I'm like, I need to know they're okay, Will. Laura, one thing that did make me think of you uh, was the scene where we see Janelle Monet start smashing all those glass statues in that, <sighs> that dude's living room. amazing. That seems like something that you would enjoy. It, it is something I would enjoy. Actually, that was, besides the swimming togs and the name Whiskey, that was my favorite part of the movie. Goddamn that thing! Oh, really? Shall we join in? Yeah. Oh yeah. You go. Yeah, I think we should. Hey, Miles. Okay. It began small, and then it went to the piano. And then it just kept going on and on. And I was like, remembering this New Hampshire Chronicle episode I had seen where there's actually a place where you can do this, where you go in a room and you put this like protective stuff on and you just smash it. And I was like, there's something satisfying about that, especially because Edward Norton comes across as super douchey in this movie. As you're watching it, you're waiting to see like, how far is this going to go? And finally, when the protective glass shield is taken away from the Mona Lisa, because wait, he had to be able to look at it in the eyes, not between the glass, and it starts to burn. You finally see him crack and everybody else falls like dominoes and is no longer supporting him. So that was a very satisfying part of the movie to me. I was like, all right, some shit's going down. It's a little bit of Michael Moriarty in that, right, Kevin? <laughs> From Law and Order. Has to be able to look in the, the eye, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Toby, one note that you sent me was uh, your take on the Elon Musk uh, subplot of this. Obviously, this film was written before Elon Musk 
uh, announced he was purchasing Twitter and, and, and has had the year that he's had. However, it was a little bit prescient, correct? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think they had him nailed and I think, you know, the cars like kind of a nod to him. And then at the end when they're like, I used to think you were really smart, but it turns out you're stupid. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that part was pretty prescient. Yeah. So I think to the extent that I liked any part of this, I mean, part of it was, I thought that was pretty good satire, like maybe not specifically on Elon, but on the sort of cult of the, uh, of the entrepreneur, the uh, sort of single genius founder of things, because it's generally more complicated than that. And people who are invested more in sort of creating their own legend than they are in their actual products. Not all of them are like that, but there's certainly plenty who are. And I thought that was sort of the strength of this was sort of lampooning that. And I guess to a certain extent, the, sort of false veneer that all these people kind of had that to me was the strongest part of the writing and sort of thematically in what, you know, generally I, I didn't really like. Yeah. Everybody did have the false veneer because Duke Cody is Alex is going to be Alex Jones, right? Yeah. And, and you sort of see that in real life. He's like, you know, I this, think maybe a little more Joe Rogan, but, but yeah, yeah. he's like this teddy yeah, yeah. bear guy who's friends with all these people. And, and, you know, Catherine Hahn is going to be this like powerful politician who might be president. But in the beginning, you see, they're all hanging out at this bar together. Incredible group of successful friends that all came from just yeah, hanging out at the bar different together. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you see at the beginning the nod to the Tom Cruise costume from Tropic Thunder that Edward Norton had when they were hanging out at the bar together with the ponytail and the vest? Oh, yeah. There were a lot of Easter eggs in this movie, a fucking ton of Easter eggs in this movie. So, Kevin, malapropisms ends up being like the big clue. Did you catch them? Yes or no? Yeah. Well, well, when they went by, I did not. I got to say, and I really enjoyed the fact they went back and they played, you know, the, the idea is like, did you think you saw the thing that you saw or heard the thing that you, you heard? And the fact that he was misusing words like that, I just kind of went along with it. But the idea that it was the clue in plain sight, like a glass onion, I thought that was clever. I thought that was an interesting way of making it sound that, uh, you know, to make you the point about the single genius to show that he's not really smart at all. And this whole legend about the other people are doing the work, all this stuff, the puzzle boxes and the murder mystery itself. Like that was all the other people were doing that for him. And that the fact that like, no, he's really kind of stupid. Oh, that's an interesting way to sort of uh, reveal who he is. But isn't that the whole like thing with it? This is the whole thing about the single genius. So I think that the very telling scene at the beginning where Leslie Odom is just reading the faxes, the stupid faxes that he gets, mm -hmm. where it's like libraries, but Muppets or whatever they fucking say. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's like you send 10,000 faxes like that a day. Somebody who actually is smart might be able to take one of those and be like, oh. Yeah, but the thing is you focus on the one brilliant one. And it's like not pay, brilliant. Pay, pay almost no attention to the 10,000 crazy pieces of shit right. that doesn't get weighed in. But right? the one brilliant one isn't brilliant. It's like that one brilliant person who's able to take a shitty one and do something brilliant with it. Right? All these guys think that like sort of random thoughts they have are because they are who they are are brilliant. I've got a friend who made a, a show called um, Bubble Proof. It's, it's basically about the same thing. It's about sort of this cult of this single genius entrepreneur and it, and it kind of pokes, pokes fun at it. And I think everybody wants to be like Steve Jobs and have like these like quirky preferences that end up like changing the world. 
Uh, you mean like this, Toby Ball? Yeah, like exactly. When I talk to you, I'd be like, Toby Ball. Just a like, drop of blood. I mean, I, I thought that that was the strongest part of this whole thing was his sort of idiot who thinks he's a genius and has convinced a whole bunch of other people he's a genius. Actual smart and, and accomplished and even, people. And even his friends like kind of feel that way. But I, you know, I, that was the best part. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. If they haven't yet, should they check out Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery? It was in theaters briefly, but now it is streaming on Netflix. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery? So I tried to give this a chance. I didn't like it the first time, so I watched it a second time. (laughs) And I still didn't really like this. Toby's shaking his head like, I can't believe that. Listen, you can think love what you love hate what you hate it's fine I, I didn't like it um this is a thumbs down for me and i've heard the first movie people liked i did not see the first movie i knew nothing of it there was just too much i mean there was a great cast in this there was some great actors and actresses in this there was some moments in this that i like like i know what i'm getting kevin for his birthday next june because that's when your birthday is right yeah, yeah yeah right in time for the summer i'm gonna eat some of those swimming togs like uh dan craig wore but for me, this just, it, it felt like something that I would have on sort of in the background while I was like cleaning the house. And I might look at it once in a while and be like, oh, hey, look, Kate Hudson. Oh, hey. Or, oh, hey, that guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. Or, oh, hey, Edward Norton. I really loved him in that movie where he was a psycho serial killer. Um, but I just, I just really didn't like this. So uh, it's a thumbs down. That's okay. I forgive you. It, it is okay. It's okay, Rebecca. It's it's, uh, But you can still call me whiskey if you want. No. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery? I'm a huge thumbs up for this. That's actually not true. I, I, I really, I didn't like this at all. It's a lot of good actors in a movie that's, that's not good. It has a few kind of interesting points to it and a couple of funny moments. But for the most part, I mean, I like Knives Out. And I think much like True Detective, I think it took the wrong cues about what made it successful and lean into other things. So I was really disappointed. I didn't like it at all. 
I am a big thumbs down. Kevin Flynn. I'm a thumbs up. I thought it was fun and a little breezy. I don't think maybe necessarily sort of light as a feather like the original season of Only Murders in the Building. I don't know why they placed it sort of like in the first three months of COVID lockdown. I thought that was a little odd choice to put it so firmly into reality. making it, Kevin. Well, everything that we've seen on television in the past three or four years was made during COVID. So, like, that wasn't something that was sort of necessary to move the plot along. Anyway, that's a, that's a quibble. I like the characters. It's not perfect, but it was kind of like a fun ride to go along. So I'm, I'm up. I'm a thumbs up. Okay, so, yeah, I like this way better than all of you guys did. I fucking love this movie. I thought it was joyful as fuck. Uh, I barely remember the first Knives Out movie. In fact, I remember being a little bit bored by it, uh, what I do remember by it. I think that what this thing did with the satire on the genre, the parts that did that, it did extremely well. I love the Benoit Blanc character. I know he's over the top. I know it's dumb. And I love everything about it. And I think the cast in this movie was fantastic. Uh, Janelle Monet is revelation. Catherine Hahn is one, is one of my favorite actors. Uh, and Dave Bautista, yeah, he's the dude from Guardians of the Galaxy, but he's also fucking adorable. Um, yeah, I really, really, this movie is the first thing that put a smile on my face that I watched film-wise in a long time. And as Kevin can attest, I did not second screen it while we watched it. Correct? That's true, yeah. Which is very fucking put rare Put the for phone me. down. Wow. Big thumbs up for me for Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. All right, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We have a double feature tonight, Rebecca. What? Is it a two-headed cat? Oh, my God. It it is from Raquel in Puerto Rico, who has been listening to us since 2016. Hello, Raquel. Raquel. Yeah, yeah, we know her. She emailed us. We're going to come to Puerto Puerto Rico and visit you, Raquel. We're going to have a show there. I love Puerto Rico. Because Puerto Rico is beautiful. It would be so fun to go And we go to the rainforest, and it would be very exciting. Anyway, Raquel... She was like, you must know you guys do much more than a podcast. Muchas gracias. Also, you guys introduced me to Patricia from True Crime Obsessed. Thank you again. So here is a dog and a cat. Sata, that's what we call girl stray mutt dogs. Her name is Tatiana Maria. She looks like a mix of a corgi and everything else. I was shopping at a Marshall store and there was a big commotion. I realized a puppy full of mange came in the store and was running around and everyone was disgusted with her since she was full of mange. She looked like a gremlin. So I took a towel from the marshals, put her in my car, Good paid for, for the towel and took her to a vet. <laughs> and she has been her partner ever since. She is a real owner of the house. Number two. In 2021, we had a hurricane coming again. So before the chaos, I decided to go to the mall and enjoy normal life. On my way there, I saw a little potato thing in the middle of the road and a huge truck almost ran over it. I was next and too close to avoid the potato, but I slowed down, passed it and looked in my rearview mirror, saw the potato hopping and I knew I had to stop. And the potato became a baby kitten. I mean, it was already money, a baby kitten. It wasn't a potato. That- the money I was planning to spend at the mall ended up being spent at an emergency vet. The truck had actually hit her, but only separated the skin of her chin. Only some stitches and she was good. The vet said she was a girl, so I named her Greta. Around seven months, she got spayed and I noticed she was actually a boy. Wow. Mistake. The balls so she was came neutered, out. not spayed. So now her name is Greta Jose. I got to say, Raquel is a fucking animal hero. 
I love Raquel. I love the story of taking the towel from the shelf at Marshall's and using it for the mange dog. (laughs) That's like when you're feeling like hungry as fuck at Market Basket and you just like take a candy bar and then have them scan the wrapper when you're like leaving the store. And also the photo of these two animals is even Kevin, who doesn't even like cats, just showed me the photo and was like, oh, right, Kevin? Yeah. These two fucking, Raquel, you are a goddamn hero. I think this is my favorite story I've heard in a long time for Cat of the Week. I think it's my favorite I've heard in like years. You know what? Um, that movie that we watched put a smile on your face. This story put a smile I, on your I face. I love Rebecca. everything about it. Laura Bricker, if folks want to try to top Raquel, it's going to be hard. Good freaking luck. With their story. Of course, they can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com. But if they want to reach you on social media, how can they find you there? They can find me at Lara Bricker. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on social media and tell you Rebecca is right about Glass Onion or you are right about Glass Onion. They're probably going to say you're right if they are fans of yours. Yeah. Uh, how can they find you on social media? <laughs> at Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, how can you be found? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or even go to the super weird Be Real, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show at Crime Writers On. Please join our incredible Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Everybody there is rad. Just go to Facebook, look for us, join our page, and then hit join the group. Answer a couple questions. We'll let you in if you know even like one of the answers. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the hundreds of extra podcasts we have back there. How many episodes? I think 325. Extra extra episodes? Yeah. Unbelievable. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredible Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is the hardworking and handsome Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we've installed a secret switch to override the security measures protecting a priceless masterpiece. And then we show that secret switch to everybody. Not very smart. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. On the next Crime Writers On, we're going to be talking about the HBO Max documentary Unveiled, Surviving La Lux del Mundo. La Luz? La Luz. Surviving La Luz del Mundo. La Luz del Mundo. Fucking, is it Portuguese or Spanish? I don't fucking know. Right, You're the one. Watch it. Yeah, I have right. no idea what it is. All right, all right, all right, all right. I think it's La Lux. It says La Lu- it's an Z. La Luz. La Luz. Okay, all right. We're going to be talking about the HBO documentary series Unveiled, surviving La Luz del Mundo. I bet it's Luz. Del Luz? Well, I haven't watched it it's yet. It's La so. Luz. It's, there's no La. There's no short. There's right. no short. How about that? Okay. Oh, is that the one I sent you the recommendation yeah, for? Thanks for oh, fucking okay. nothing, Lara. Here we what go. You say, one last time. I'm going to say unveiled. I'm just going to say unveiled. Move on. All right. Toby is so fucking. Toby is so upset. All right. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Don't waste my time with that fucking music. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and my own Benoit Blanc, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. My taint is chafing. (laughs) Awesome. Kevin's like cracking himself up here. (laughs) What's the matter with you? Nailed it. (laughs) 
What's in your What's in your giant cup there? It's something so damn good. We we had like some Benoit balls. Good. Also with us is private investigator certified. How about I just give a, a real response? No, <laughs> you did. You said hello, Rebecca, and I could leave that. Hello, Rebecca. You did say that, and then you said my taint is shaving. We just cut out that my taint is shaving. I don't know if it'd be a clean edit though. It will be fine. Say hello, Rebecca. I just did. Say it, say it in a more enthusiastic way. <laughs> hello, Rebecca. It would have been much faster just to have played the music and none of this would have happened. (laughs) (laughs) Like, seriously. Say hello, Rebecca, again. Hello, Rebecca. Partners in Crime Media. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. <laughs> 